0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and our text will be verses 1 to 5. <clears throat> you know, as you find your place there, let me, let me read this as well of what our Lord Jesus had said to his disciples in John chapter fifteen, beginning in verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may so that it may bear more fruit. <clears throat> you know the scripture expresses to us, explains to us, makes very clear to us that the life of a believer is going to be a life that is characterized by trials, by tribulations, by sufferings. This is the the lot of the believer. It's pretty interesting that you have, you know, some that that would say that Jesus can solve all your problems. You know, Jesus can take care of all your problems. But in fact, if we were to think about it, Jesus is going to be the cause of a lot of our problems. Jesus is going to to bring about a lot of problems within our life. And he does it for the purpose of refining his people, for the purpose of refining his church, to, to purify it, that it comes out even stronger. Strong is, is, is like the, the passage that we, that we read earlier, that he would refine them like gold, his own people. And it's for our betterment. It's for our sanctification. It's for our growth. It's, to, to, it's for us to grow more in Christ's likeness. It's for us to, to be like our Lord Jesus Christ. And the scriptures express those, those truths to us. It's never an enjoyable time. It's, it is indeed a difficult time, but to go through difficult times and, 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 and trials and, and tribulations, it has great purpose. Just just more uh, there's more specifics there, but just generally speaking, like we were just talking about, you know, it, it, it brings us to be more like Christ and whatever. But the Apostle Paul really lays out for us in Romans five, even, even greater detail of the great benefits that come from being put through the trials. Our Lord's, our Lord's love never ceases. Our Lord's love is continually with us even in the midst of it. Though sometimes it feels like maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe He's absent. But our Lord is always working. He is always refining. He is always present. His love never ceases. His love never stops. His grace is continually with us through all things that we endure in this life. That He and His sovereign decree has permitted us to go through. As Job says, the Lord performs that which is appointed for me. The Lord performs that which is appointed for you. So in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your sufferings, at some, there, there has to be times of reflection on our part to just stop and to consider what is it that the Lord may be doing here? What is it that I can learn from this? What is it that I can, how is it that I can grow from this? And how is it that I can honor my Lord in everything that that I am doing to to work through this, to endure? And understand as well that even the endurance part of things is not your doing. It's, It's the Spirit of God that is working. The Spirit of God providing and transforming. Trials are necessary. We think that 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 they're not necessary. We don't like to go through them and and, uh, they're unpleasant. But understand, trials are necessary for the people of God. And that's what we learn here. Some amazing things that come about from from going through the fiery test. So let's, let's jump in here and look at this passage together. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word of Romans chapter five, verses one to five, and let us hear what the inspired, authoritative, infallible word of the living God says. Verse one, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith and to this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's pray. Gracious God and our Father, How we thank you for your word, for the great encouragements that we receive from your word that is applied to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit who resides within us. Father, help us to see that in all things you are working. Help us to see our responsibility of of honoring you, of, of seeking your face throughout whatever you allow to come in our lives. Father, let us magnify you in our sufferings and in our difficulties and our trials and anything that you allow us to go through. Keep us close. Keep us from stumbling. Keep us from dishonoring you. And Father, teach us how we ought to be through the pages of Scripture. Thank you so much again for this passage. I made it here to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Please be seated. <clears throat> now, for many of us, we are very familiar with the Book of Romans. We love the Book of Romans. Probably, if we were to have only one book, we would have the Book of Romans. That's where John 3.16 is, in the Book of Romans. Everything, every answer is in the Book of Romans. It's very, very popular there. Of course, within the reform camp. But if we look at the first four chapters of this epistle to the Church of Rome, the Apostle Paul has been laboring throughout these these chapters to demonstrate that that by keeping the law there is no salvation; it is all by grace through faith. He he references uh, David. He talks about Abraham. That these men. Uh, were saved by, by their faith, by grace through faith. They were not saved by works. Abraham came 430 years before the law was given. Uh, these men trusted in God and it was credited to them as righteousness. He quotes from the psalm that David had written as well to, to further that reality. The psalm that says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose who sin the Lord will not take into account. And the Lord does not take into account the sins of his people because of the imputed righteousness that he is expressing in chapter 4. As we come into chapter 5, chapters 5, 6, and 7, 8, they're really a unit. And you have this new phase of, in, the, in this discussion of justification by faith that Paul is now going to elaborate on further. He's proving the concept beforehand, and now he is taking that very thing and he's bringing it into the experience of the believer. He begins chapter 5 with that word, therefore. Everything that has been said before, the end result, the the consequence of it is, is what he's getting ready to say to us. Having been justified by faith is what he says. Now... He's already expressed this. He's already taught this. He's going to add more to it. He is going to, to bring in now the results of this great blessing of God. We have been justified by faith in the sense this is this is forensic justification. This is declaration of the people of God. That in Christ, because of Christ, through Christ, you have now been declared not guilty before the great sovereign king. It is, it, is, it is courtroom language. It is something that has been declared about you. And this is important, by the way, because we do not become just and then God declares us to be just. That's more of a Roman Catholic idea. And even, even some within the Protestant umbrella would, would, unbeknownst to them, probably keep something like that. Because you have to earn your way to, to salvation. It's very similar in, in the concept of it. Justification is one of those great blessings that come to you that is not done to you. It is declared about you. God declares you to be just before you actually become just. Because we look at ourselves and we know that we're not just. We know that we're not righteous. But in the eyes of God, you are absolutely, fully righteous and just because of the imputed righteousness of Christ credited to you. So through faith, through Belief in the Lord Jesus, through belief in, in his, his work, His atonement, His life, the, the sum of the gospel, through that, that heartfelt commitment, you are now justified. The instrumental cause of your justification being faith. You are declared not guilty before the sovereign judge. And as a result of this, These are the great blessings that come with that. This is the initial aspect of your salvation. You are justified in the eyes of God. Now the benefits that come thereafter that Paul is now expressing for us, the first of which he says we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the great blessings. The first that he mentions. As a result of your justification before God, you now have peace with God. He's looked at you. He's declared you not guilty. And as a result of declaring you not guilty, the wrath that was now towards you has, has now been removed. You have peace with God. That idea of reconciliation with God, through the Son of God. The removal of divine wrath and a restoration to favor. No more to be at enmity with God. No longer to be enemies of God. Now you have peace. Peace has been made between the two. Now you have the Apostle Paul who is speaking of really object, that objective aspect of, of having peace with God being that very thing. You've been reconciled to Him. You've been brought near to Him. No longer to be at enmity. But you also have that subjective aspect of it as well. That now you have this condition of rest and, and, and contentment. That is now in the hearts of God's people as a result of God's forgiving of your sins. That is something that we experience. You have the declaration that's given that you're just in the sight of God. You have that objective truth that's being given. There is peace now. There is no more enmity. But then you have that subjective aspect of it in which you actually experience this peace of God that comes into your heart. Again, that, con- that condition of rest. And contentment that we have now in Christ. That we have as we we view our, our state before God. Knowing that our sins have been forgiven. That brings that contentment to the people of God. That rest. It is done through Christ. It has been brought about through Christ. Through the finished work of Christ. Through the life of Christ. Through the resurrection of Christ. Really summing up the whole aspect of what the gospel is. Everything that Christ did. Contributed to this very reality that is now present in your life. That you have peace with God. He made peace because he, he became our peace. He became our satisfaction. He satisfies the justice of God. He lives the perfect life. He conquers death. He had to endure death. That is the penalty of sin. And he satisfied it all. He fulfilled it all. That's the first thing. We now have peace with God. We no longer have to fear the wrath of God. We have this continued peace and favor that is now with us. And he says through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. I love that language. We have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And the idea is this this immovable grace. This grace in which we are immovable. We are standing firm in. We we, we cannot be moved. On the basis of, of our faith in Christ... This brings believers into that state of grace, that state of favor that is given by our Lord toward us who are in Christ now. We are permanently being, we are permanently immovable when it comes to where we stand now within the eyes of God. Immovable. You are standing continually in the grace of God in His favor, never to be removed from that position. In view of your sin, in view of the sins that are yet to be done, we are immovable. We are kept by God's grace. He keeps us, He holds us, He, he keeps us from, from wandering. We are in this, the, the one theologian said, we are in this sphere. Of constant forgiveness. Constantly. Constant forgiveness. The scripture tells us where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. We are standing in this grace, standing in the favor of God, which brings a great encouragement to our hearts because we sin daily, we sin often. But it is, it is such an encouragement to our hearts, such a joy to your hearts when you begin to think that because of Christ, because of Christ making peace between me and the Father, and because of Christ keeping us in this constant state of forgiveness, because His death, His, His blood was, was sufficient enough to, to continually hold me in this position. Never will, will, never will His, His grace be exhausted. Never will His atonement be, and what He accomplished in the atonement ever stop the, the results of it. And in fact, when you go back to the passage in which Jesus had said, it is finished, when He was on the cross, that is that Greek word, tetelestai, which means it is paid, it's in the Greek uh, perfect tense, which means that what was done there, the effects of it continually inf- continue infinitely into the future. It was finished, it was completed, it was stamped, paid in full, And now we are in this constant state of forgiveness as a result of the Lord Jesus Christ which brings hope to our hearts in the times in which we fail. And we fail often. The third thing that it brings us as he says there at the end of verse 2 he says through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. This, we, we, we rejoice in it, he says. This future glorification that is promised to believers, we rejoice in that. We rejoice in what is to come. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, the scripture makes it very clear to us that our salvation, the culmination of our salvation is when we are glorified in Christ. Christ. Even when we we die now, our body goes to the dust of the earth, our spirit goes home to be with the Lord. Even though we are in this state of perfection, sinlessness, because now we we are in the presence of God, your salvation is still not done yet. Because the final step, the, the culmination of it all, the great promise that God has is that you will be glorified in Christ. We get to experience that yearning even now. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in what is to come. We know that at the proper time, at God's appointed time, that we will indeed be glorified in him. But then Paul's going to take this even further. That this hope that we we have of this future glorification in which we will be fully sanctified, fully redeemed... He's now going to express that this is now experienced in the lives, the lives of believers. Because the rest of this is going to then stem from what he's just said to us. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And he goes on to say this. This experience of God's hope. And it's going to be very interesting on what exactly it is that he says in this. He says, we exult in hope of the glory of God. But then he says this, and not only this, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. We also rejoice in our tribulations. And it's like he's putting these on equal par here. He's putting these on on the same plane. He said, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But not only that, we rejoice in our in our sufferings, in our tribulations now, how can the two go together? How is it that, that we can rejoice in our sufferings and rejoice in our tribulations? How is it that this will be on the same, the same plane as our, as our joy that we have and the hope that is yet to come? How is that? How do the two go together? They seem to be at polar opposites. But we can rejoice in our tribulations because of what we know that our tribulations produce. It produces a greater hope in us for sure. Suffering tribulation it's not to mean that it's an enjoyable time when you're enduring it because it isn't. It's a painful time. It's a trying time but the effects of what it is doing in you is, is reason to rejoice because if we believe that we serve a sovereign God, which the Scriptures make very clear that we do, and we believe that God is at work in everything to bring the most glory to Him, then whatever it is that God allows to be within our life, we can rest assured and rejoice in, in this, this truth, this reality that, that, that something is being produced that is going to glorify God even more. It's going to produce something in us, something that we can't explain, something that can't be under, uh, understood fully, but yet we are able to experience it. That is the odd thing. And what that does then is when we experience that, we don't like to use that word because we tend to push it over here to a charismatic point, but we experience it. We've experienced it recently. Recently. Something that is unknown to us as to why it is, how it is happening. But this, this, this moral transformation that is being produced in you that you cannot explain. You can't explain where it's coming from. You can't explain why it is, is. Is a demonstration of what God is doing in you that otherwise wouldn't have happened left to yourself. And that is just giving you a foretaste of what God will do in the very end. This is just giving you just a, a small sample of what kind of a change that God can cause within your life that He will fully do in the end. So it only makes your hope of the, the glory of God that is yet to come, it, it only makes you yearn for it even more so. What does it produce in us? He says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about Perseverance. This is the first thing that he mentions here. Perseverance or endurance actually means pressure. It's an interesting word. Pressure or patience. One theologian said patience is only produced from situations of impatience. makes sense. You can only develop patience by being in those trying times. By having that stress that is placed upon you. These tribulations bring about in you. A greater measure of endurance. Of what it is that you can endure in this life. What it is that you can take upon you. By the strength of the Holy Spirit within you. It's kind of like you think of power lifters. You think of how much weight that these guys can, can well, guys and, and women too. Uh, you look at some of what, some things that what the women can do and you're like, I ain't no way I would try that. But you think of what kind of weight that they can withstand underneath themselves. You see, you see this huge weight on their back and you see this, this metal bar just bending over and you see what they can do and it took them... It took them years to get to this point, but they had to keep adding stress and adding stress and adding stress until when, the, when it counted the most, that they could hold it up and that they could endure whatever the, the situation was, whatever the, the contest was, and be able to come through. They developed endurance. They developed this, this pressure. And God allows that pressure to be upon us. Not to cause us to fall. Not to cause us to stumble. But to continually add more stress to us. Perhaps because of what is yet to come. That it will be endurable. God is always, always has purpose in all of these things. And again, patience is only produced in situations... Of impatience. But what does that do then? These times of great stress that God puts upon his people. What does it produce? He says, and perseverance. Proven character. That's the next thing. Proven character. Now, what is in view here. the moral transformation that God does within his people. This transformation that God is doing in his people is now being put in the test, put in the fire. And during the many difficulties that we, that we do produces this, this strength of character that may not have been there presently or previously. In the times in which you have the stress that is put upon you, you have that time of pressure that is put upon you, it produces in you this, this character perhaps that, that is now in the midst of, in the midst of the fiery test that is now being grown, matured, even more. One writer said, "The chief instrument of transformation is suffering. God is transforming you. During these times of of great difficulty, these times of great pressure, God is transforming you. Times of suffering are necessary because it takes your theology and it now places it in your experience. What we believe, what we know to be true, is now being put to the test. So that in the midst of those times, you have to continually go back to what you know to be true. I believe, it's easy to, to sit back and to say, I believe that God has purpose in everything. I believe that, that God has his hand in, in everything that happens and that it's under his sovereign control. And we say these things because the scripture teaches us these things and we truly believe them. But then, when it counts, now you have to remind yourself of these things. Now you have to, to constantly preach back to yourself what you, what you know to be true according to your theology. You have to say, I know God is sovereign. I know God is in, in control. I know God is allowing this pressure in order to, to refine us. To bring about this, this godly character, God has to put us through the fiery trial. To produce in us this character. uh, This Christ likeness. We have to be put through the fiery test. That's what he did to his own son. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. That's what the scripture says. Speaking about Christ. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. How? Again. Because suffering brings about. Transformation in you. Suffering brings about. This 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 character, this godly character. If we are seeking after the Lord, it does. I mean, let me preface that. <clears throat> what develops in you may be difficult than what it was before. It's so interesting, and it's it's you know it's just odd, I guess, in one sense. How it is that you can endure something and then come out you know, with, with a, a, a greater endurance or a greater strength or, or a greater quality about you. We look at the world and we see the things that, that people go through and they, they just give up and they you know, throw up their hands and, and all of that. But within the Christian faith, that's not how things are supposed to be done and that's not how things are done. Within the Christian faith. Because your suffering. Is only producing in you. A greater character. A stronger character. Not that you're getting stronger. But the spirit of God is strengthening you even more so. We are standing in this. Grace. In this constant state of forgiveness. We rejoice in this. Future hope. Hope. And this future hope is, is experienced within the life of the believer as God is doing these things within your life. And it's, it's a, again, a demonstration of what, of what transforming power that God has in the midst of a time in which it shouldn't be. We would think, perhaps, that, that the times of our greatest strength is when, is when everything is good and we can, we can take a breather. And we can rest. And we can, we can gather our strength. But the time that we grow the most is the time in which the tribulations come. When the pressure comes. When the difficulty comes. When your suffering comes. This is the time in which you grow the most. This is the time in which the character of Christ is going to manifest itself even more so. And the character of Christ that is in you is going to grow. And it's going to mature even more. The time again in which your theology is put to the test. When your theology is now experienced in your life. It's made real. In your time of suffering. It also produces in us. Hope. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. This kind of hope is not wishful thinking. It's amazing how it is of the power of God working within you to change you and to give you qualities in which you you wouldn't have left to yourself and how it makes you yearn even more so for God's transforming power to be complete in you. This hope, as he says, this is a hope that doesn't disappoint. Again, he's he's referencing what is yet to come. It produces this proven character in which we are now growing and we are now experiencing, we are now maturing in. But that proven character, recognizing the power of God in us and recognizing what God is doing in us, only makes us yearn for the the greater hope that is yet to come, the glorification. And this, this hope that we have in that whole scenario is a hope that doesn't disappoint. Again, it's not wishful thinking. The writer of Hebrews says that we have a sure hope, a steadfast hope, an anchor for the soul. It is sure. One theologian said it this way. It's like a little boy around Christmas time. He's getting ready for bed. He's not gotten in bed yet. He's supposed to be. He hears something outside. He looks outside and he sees his dad out there. And his dad has this... this Big object in his hand, and it has some bars that come out like this, and it looks like it has some some round things at the bottom. And he's watching through the window. And then the next day, one of his family members says, "Well, what is it you want for Christmas?" And he says, "I hope to get a bicycle." Now he's not wishful thinking that this is a wishful thinking on his part, hoping he's going to get a bicycle. He knows he's going to get a bicycle. It's just a matter of time in which it's going to be his. That's the kind of hope that's being set here. This is a hope that will never put you to shame. A hope that will never disappoint. This is a hope that that lays claim to what is ours, though we don't possess it yet. But it is sure. And we will have it. Our hope of God fully glorifying us and fully sanctifying us this is this, this hope is realized though and it's realized in our suffering this is again where God gives us a foretaste of his transforming power you think of what he says to the apostle Paul in 2nd Corinthians 12 I prayed three times for the Lord to remove my thorn in the flesh what did he say My grace is sufficient, for my power is perfected in weakness. So I'm going to rejoice in my weaknesses, Paul says, because it's in my weaknesses that I know I'm strong. He says, my grace is sufficient. It's in your suffering in the time of your greatest weakness that the power of God is manifested the greatest in your life by how you are enduring How you are persevering. How your character is being matured. And it's all through tribulations. And it's because of things like this. Because of understanding some of these aspects of suffering and tribulation. That's why that when the times come that you can not enjoy it. But that you can rejoice knowing that God is producing something in this. He's producing something in me. He's producing something in you. God is perfecting His people. God is refining His people. He has given us an even greater desire and a greater yearning for what is to come. Giving us just a little foretaste. That, we, that as the Apostle Paul says, I, I seek to lay hold of that which laid hold of me that it makes us even more so be driven uh, to the feet of our Lord Jesus, seeking to lay hold of, of him who laid hold of us. This hope, he says, does not disappoint. This is a great encouragement for us that there's going to be no shame for believers. This hope isn't going to put us to shame. Because those who trust in the Lord are assured that they will be vindicated in the time in which He brings us home, in the time in which He fully grants us that hope, that we are not put to shame because we trusted in God. The evidence that they will that they will not experience shame is that the love of God has been poured into our hearts, he says. Poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He doesn't just give us a drop. And then another drop. Of the love of God. This kind of language is is this overflowing language. Or or this language is, is demonstrating this overflowing love. That God has just saturated us with. That God has poured within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That the Holy Spirit of God, who is now Christ's presence on earth, who is who is the advocate for God's people, who is continually dwelling with us, who is producing these things within us, because of his sovereign power, he has, he has poured within us the love of God. He's filled us with the love of God. This is this is really expressing to us this this dynamic experience of the Holy Spirit of God that that we That we experience every day. God's love being granted to us, being applied to us. It's one thing to understand the love of God in the sense of seeing it in the cross of Christ. The greatest manifestation of the love of God is in Christ and what he accomplished on behalf of sinners. But it's another thing, too, to understand that that love that you see is the love that you have. That you have that applied to you and you have it applied to you by the holy spirit of god the one who is consistently working within you who is granting that contentment that serenity to your hearts who is granting you that that great hope that you have in christ who is granting you that comfort that you need in the moments that you need it the strength to carry on the endurance to endure the pressure This is a demonstration of God's love to you that he is keeping you going. He's not letting you quit. He's not letting you throw up your hands. He's not letting you be put to shame. Because you trusted in him. God's love is amplified and magnified in the times of our greatest trial. And so when we endure trials and we we will, we do, we have we'll have more that what we have to go back to and keep reminding ourselves of is what we know to be true about who God is. Keep seeking His face and rejoice that God is doing something in me personally. Because that's something that, that you need to understand. That God is at work In you. Personally. The sovereign creator. Has his eye on you. He has his hand on you. And he's bringing about. His. His delight in you. By transforming you to be. Whatever the outcome will be. So we seek his face. We trust in him. We. We. We, we seek to, to understand as best as we can, you know, perhaps what God is doing in us. We rejoice in what He is producing in us that we can't explain. It's just unexplainable. Some of the, the feelings that, that come upon us, the experience that we have is just unexplainable of what God is producing in us. But, it's, but in the moments and when that, that's happening that you have this unexplainable Emotion or this unexplainable feeling that's coming to you, and we've got to be careful with that, I understand. But when those occur, it only makes you, I need more of that. I want more of that. And it makes us yearn for when God will fully do that. So instead of allowing ourselves to grow bitter in our time of trial and suffering instead of allowing ourselves to to lose heart and to be in despair let your eyes be upon your sovereign king whom you know is only good whom you know is absolutely at work and willingly endure whatever it is that the change in which He is intending for you will be the outcome. God is accomplishing all things in the midst of His people that's going to bring Him the most glory, the most honor. And so let us seek out, not suffering, not seek out suffering, but let us seek out in the midst of our suffering how we ought to honor God even more. So let us rejoice in what God produces in us as a result of our tribulations and our trials and not allow our hearts to grow bitter. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we again come before you. We come before you humbly. We come before you recognizing Father that that you are indeed in control over all things. You're in control over our suffering, of our trials, of the fiery tests that we endure. Father, there are many times in which we don't understand why things happen, but we can rest assured that they don't happen by coincidence. They don't happen by luck. They happen because your sovereign hand decreed it. And never do you just do anything. Just to do it, you do what brings you the most glory. Father, help us to remind ourselves of these things in our time of difficulty. Bring back to our remembrance passages of Scripture that remind us of your character, of who you are, and the grace that you have granted to us in Christ Jesus. Remind us of these things. Keep us close. Don't let us stumble that we may honor you in the fiery test and in the outcome of it. Father, refine us, purify us, and use us for your honor and for your glory. We are your instruments. We are instruments in your hand. Use us as you wish to to further the kingdom of God. Whatever you you desire, we are yours. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I thank you all for your attention, and you are dismissed.